I call it Stato the Conqueror. That's meant to be derisive. Sorry, old chum. These two are here to kill you. It's out of my hands. We need to help these people. Impossible, dear. There are corpses below those stars. Who are they? Oh, the thought of powerful men through every age. Dissidents. Journalists. Political rivals. And their loved ones. Oh, please. Unclutch your fucking pearls, Flag. We serve the same master. We were sent here to stop you. Child, your government didn't send you here to protect the world from alien technology. Your government sent you here to cover up their part in it. And we are back. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. We let our non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So Alex, as you mentioned in a previous episode, and I, I think that we need to uh, underscore and highlight this feature again, uh, all our patrons, starting from the bottom tier all the way to the top, uh, have access to the chat feature on the patron app now. I mention it because I want to see more people involved. I, I think that uh, there's a handful of us using it, and it's so much easier for me to post there than to, for some reason, than to make an Instagram post or to make a Facebook post. <laughs> but having access to being able to just put a message in the chat that says, hey, we're recording tonight. Hi. Uh, I don't know. I, I like that. And and I, I like that basically any patron can have access to that. So this is, I wanted to open this segment by saying, hey, if you're a patron, download the app and just chime in whenever. You can tell us what you're watching. You can tell us what you think of what we're watching. Just oh, yeah. uh, we like interacting with you, and it, it makes it a lot easier if we're doing it through there, uh, especially now that Twitter slash X is, uh, becomes a bigger shit show, I think, with every passing day. So I like having another place where we can just talk. But what else do you get if you're a patron? If You start with the Travoltis, the ground floor, $1 tier. You get access to the chat. You get access to our cutting room floor segments, which is where we put all the stuff that doesn't make it into the episodes. And you get access to our bonus episodes. This month, as we mentioned a couple times already, uh, we're going to be talking about Nosferatu. Actually, we already recorded that episode. It's, it's on the editing room right now. And it's a, a very interesting conversation between two people that don't really talk about really, really, really old movies very often. <laughs> so it, was, it was a lot of fun, I think, talking about this old vampire movie from the 1920s and what what still works, what maybe didn't work, and what worked differently for each of us. So if you want to listen to us talk about Nosferatu, as requested by patron Jordan Mance, uh, well, our patron channel, that's where you can listen to that. If you want more from us, then you just move up a tier. The Winonis, $3 and up. You have access to our pre-recording notes. You have access to our quick video reviews, sometimes not so quick. Uh, this month, it's a dual quick video review. Alex and I are going to be talking about A Good Day to Die Hard, uh, a rare revisit of a movie that neither of us liked. But patrons say dance Ugh. and we dance. Yep. That one hasn't been recorded yet, so I, I, I can't even tease you about how it goes. But you get access to that starting at the $3 tier, along with access to our Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching and that we're listening to or playing or reading about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? 
Well, Julio, in an extremely rare turn of events, I'm bringing a recent movie to the fray, a movie that was released on November 1st of this year, in fact. Wow. Um, Netflix original Wing Women. I, I'm i not going to pr- attempt to pronounce the uh, French title, as, as it were, but a movie directed by and starring uh, Melanie Laurent of Inglorious Bastards fame. It's a French action comedy, I, th- I guess you would call it. The main point of interest for me was it was the latest Adele Exer Choplis movie. And there it is. It, there it is. Um, you know, with what that uh, zero fucks given uh, mandibles, you know, anything I've been able to get my hands on uh, that she's been in. And this is the most recent and it was, you know, uh, a Netflix original and the trailer was pretty promising and it fucking, it looks like a movie. <laughs> and as fate would have it, her name in the movie is Alex. So someone listens to our podcast and, you know, made sure to, <laughs> That's their way of embedding a shout out to the contrarians in there. And then there's this fat white dude in Texas who's like obsessed with you. Can you please just throw him a bone? Uh, yeah, it, it, much to discuss. Um, maybe, maybe made me okay with the idea of Netflix originals if this is what they're going to look like. But I know they're not. So, you know, it's uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that's going to dominate my discussion for uh, this episode of after hours julio have you seen or done anything recently that you're going to be discussing uh yes speaking of netflix let me use that as transition into one of the things we're going to be talking about there uh, on my side i watched the latest david fincher movie the killer is it a netflix original i don't know i know i got it got a limited theatrical release but i mean netflix originals have done that too so i don't know but the point is you can watch it on netflix like right now michael fassbender as a as a mercenary that goes on, on a revenge mission. I mean, that's all you need to know. Fincher, Fassbender, two hours, less than two hours. Uh, I'll tell you about it. It's it's worth discussing. And then also worth discussing, but not movie related. I went and saw The Book of Mormon for the fourth time. Alex, I've seen this show four there times you go. now. Uh, they came to Austin. Anytime they come to Austin, I'll go see them. This was probably the best out of all four, in big part because we had really good seats. We were like on the fourth row from the stage. And I'd never been so close in one of their shows. So it was just so good. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts about the show uh, and I will share them with you and with our patrons when we wrap up the after hours. I think we're going to do that. You know, we'll do The Killer, then your French movie, then Book of Mormon. That seems like a good a good balance. That way, anybody that for some reason doesn't care about musicals, they can peace out after <laughs> the French movie. No guarantees. I might try to watch The Killer before we record that. It's an because easy watch. I, I do I do love me some David Fincher. Well, love hate because he also made Fight Club. <laughs> Out of all his movies, that's the one that you have issue with. No, it's the one I I have to stick to the bit about because I know you're a fan and you always kind of <laughs> you, you hit your draws up a little bit higher when I say that, and you're like, all right, well, hold on, motherfucker. <laughs> all right, so the killer, wing women, the Book of Mormon. That's the after hours. And then if you want to be one of those patrons that tell us what to do, those people that are throwing pics on our main feed and the QVRs and the and the patron feed, then that's what the $5 and $10 tiers are for. The Embry's tier, the Gats tiers, the 
check that out. Just go to patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime, look at those tiers, look at the benefits, and see if you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements. Julio has laid out the respective tiers, but $1, $1, $3, gets you access at different levels. But $1 gets you on the ground floor, and we have our current goals that we're aiming to hit, uh, projects that we will tackle at 30, 40, and 50 patrons, and uh, we'll be excited to do so. But yeah, it's all there for you. We talk about it all the time our Roxena mega series, our Lindsay Lohan journey, uh, the QVRs, the Patreon exclusive episodes that are there. Uh, fittingly, since I, we're talking about a movie that she recently made, her most recent film, it goes all the way back to our first Patreon post, which was our Blue is the Warmest Color bonus episode with Miss Adele Exerchopoulos. And again, I know I'm not pronouncing that right, but I'm not going to try to do fucking sound like a total <laughs> asshole trying to say it the, the correct French way. Um, Fittingly as well, like you said, Rock Vicina. I mean, this is kind of a direct result. Oh, absolutely. Roxina Maxi Series is... That's what inspired Paul to give us those choices. Yeah, that's as good a segue as any. So to wrap it up to our patrons, we love you all dearly. And as I like to say, we are always taking, reviewing, and quickly accepting applications for new ones. And in this case, Paul, Filmbusters Paul, our friend, the reason for this episode is he, as we mentioned, an offshoot of the Roxena mega series, uh, proposed either Black Adam or Suicide Squad, a John Cena or a Dwayne Johnson vehicle. He does exactly what I do, but better. Julio, have you seen Black Adam? I have not. I okay. had zero interest in watching it, but I would have. <laughs> for Paul. You were washing your hair that day. <laughs> yes, multiple times. Uh, so I feel we made the right choice. And uh, I'm happy with this. This is uh, not to say I'm unhappy with any patron pick. There's some movies we watch that I think suck, but that's not, <laughs> not to say that I'm ever unhappy with the idea that someone is like, you know, a fan of ours and giving us a movie to watch. Uh, so you, this was your second time watching this? Yes, I watched it the weekend that it came out from the comfort of my couch with my wife. And then that's it. I I never felt the need to revisit it. I'm not as big on the... DC movies as I am with the Marvel movies and I hardly ever revisit the Marvel ones so uh, yeah this was just one of those where I was like okay watch it thumbs up moving on uh, so it was interesting to to watch it again now that uh, it's not necessarily that the hype has died but more that those movies are in a different place right now and by those movies I mean the ones that, from the Warner Brothers DC movies you know as we mentioned at the end of the, the last segment of Contreras Corner uh, James Gunn is basically redoing everything, which what okay, what they, does that mean? I, I don't I don't know what you mean by that. Well it means that uh well, so when this movie came out, there was this sense of we don't know what they're doing with these movies anymore. Right? Like what is what is canon, what isn't, what takes place in, at the same time, right? Like uh, the first Suicide Squad features uh the Ben Affleck Batman. He shows up for a little bit to capture uh, Harley Quinn. And then uh, Ezra Miller's Flash shows up for a little bit to capture uh, Captain Boomerang. So you're like, okay, so they're tying it all together. And then some of those movies did so poorly that the future, what was going to happen next, there was this uncertainty of, you know, for the longest time, I think for years now, there's been this uncertainty of what is the plan for these movies? Are we supposed to enjoy them as standalones or are they part of a, of a bigger picture? And uh, with the MCU, for better or for worse... People have always assumed, oh, no, yeah, they have this 10, 20-year plan that they're working towards. Um, 
now that they've appointed James Gunn as the the head of DC, and he's basically said, okay, we're gonna almost start from scratch. That means that we're recasting almost every character, and we're gonna start telling their stories again from the beginning. We're gonna forget about everything that we did over the past, I don't know, ten years. But tellingly, he said Viola Davis is going to stay as Amanda Waller. Okay. <laughs> like Henry Cavill couldn't stay as Superman and The Rock couldn't stay as as Black Adam. But Amanda Waller is going to remain as her character from Suicide Squad. John Cena is going to stay as Peacemaker. And uh, there was one more actor that he said that was going to carry over into, you know, the movies that he's going to be making. But they've announced, I think, 10 movies. And one of them is a, a Superman movie that's going to start from, I think, his early years. They just a couple of days ago, they were rumoring that uh, Nicholas Holt is in dogs to play Lex Luthor. <laughs> but anyway watching the suicide squad in the context of oh they seem to know what they want to do now versus seeing it a couple of years ago when they're like what are, what is this you know regardless of the quality of the movie which is always the most important thing you know whether the movie works or not but also are we seeing like a last hurrah from warner brothers slash dc before they completely implode and you don't see any more of these movies Versus like, you watch it now and you're like, oh yeah, so the scene experiment worked as far as the scene as Peacemaker and what James Gunn has said makes it sound like he's going to be, his character is going to be sticking around, you know, for whatever they do next. And it's interesting just to see how, you know, in a couple of years, the outlook for the company, for the studio, for the people involved in making these movies, how it has changed. All right. So tying it back to the subject of today. Thank you for the detail on the James Gunn universe <laughs> that's potentially laid out. How? What is the best case scenario that this ties back to Suicide Squad? Like, are they going to do? Is the hope that they create their own? Because it seems like it's been stop and go. So the hope would be that whoever ends up playing Superman can interact with John Cena, Peacemaker, right? Right. Right. Okay. But I mean. The Suicide Squad, I mean, it's. I, I don't think that we're going to see Idris Elba again. I guess we could. Uh, I don't think they've even confirmed if Margot Robbie is sticking around to play, to do Harley Quinn in any other movies. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't uh, count my chickens, you know. Well, I, she I, I she really likes the character. That's the thing. You know, at this point. Well, she's really good at it, so. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just more of a labor of love, you know. And she was kind of bummed that her solo movie didn't do well. And, uh, but I don't know. All right, I'm I'm trying. I, I know for those of y'all, Paul's like banging his head. Like I know all this shit. Why is he talking <laughs> about it? I I don't I don't know this stuff. So I'm trying to understand where things were when this movie came out and where things are now. And Julio has done a fantastic job of setting the scene. And yeah, it, it's I, I honestly only thing that's because this is after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So it's not like Margaret Robbie wasn't a massive star already, mm-hmm. but. It, you know, in the wake of Barbie watching this, it's kind of almost <laughs> like, oh fuck, she was in, she was in a superhero movie, and part of it too is she's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, uh, I'm sorry, Julio set the table. I'm ready to get to my thoughts, but we we have some business to attend to here. Ninety percent of Rotten Tomatoes. That means ten percent of the reviews that make up the Tomato Meter were not in favor of the Suicide Squad. So, Julio, what were the negative reviews? I got a handful of rotten quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website. I'm going to start with Glenn Weldon from NPR. Alex, a very 
legit outlet. He says, the thing that makes the Suicide Squad so singularly distasteful is closely related to its factory-installed cynicism, the unconscionable glibness that grows out of it. A lot of big words. Yeah, they were really proud when they hit uh, submit on that one. Factory-installed cynicism. I think, is is it just, uh, is it saying that James Gunn is a poser? That he's really not as jaded as this movie might suggest? Yeah, and again, I, I've referenced this movie a couple times already, but um, I don't doubt that coming from the guy who made Super. I don't question his legitimate cynicism. <laughs> uh, next, Robert Horton from The Scarecrow says, He can't stop nudging the audience about how ridiculous all of this is. The opening reel is essentially a series of eye rolls about the film's own preposterousness, with the audience flattered at being in on the joke. Joke's on you, brother. There's not a reel because it's all fucking digital these days. <laughs> well, uh, did you were you flattered at being in on the joke? Were you even in on the joke, Alex? No. Like I said, I I hadn't seen the first one and I, I knew like to expect something to happen early because of how tight lipped you were when I was like, well, who is this person in it? What happens? And you're like, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. That's what you kept saying, but um, it wasn't enough to annoy me. The title screens annoyed me, but <laughs> t- title cards. But aside from that, I was just like, oh, okay. And, and again, this is this is the guy who made Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> if you think that uh, that's on you, that's on you. If, if that's your takeaway and your criticism and what bummed you out about the movie, that's at this point, that's on you. Next. Bennett Campbell Ferguson from Willamette Week says, while the film depicts the murder of a main character as a tragedy, it plays a boomerang slicing an anonymous soldier's head in half as a joke, suggesting that gun things, violence is funny as long as it happens to other people. Is that what he's saying in this movie? Yeah, I, I, it's just possible his movies aren't for some people. <laughs> Like, do you do you think violence is funny, Alex? Can be. Under the right circumstances. Seth Rogen shooting that flasher at the end of Observant Reports like one of the hardest times I've ever laughed at a movie. <laughs> so it's it's all within context. Yeah. Bennett, you seem a little touchy well, like about this. Yeah, and and look, trust me, that type of comedy is not for everybody, but it's clearly in the the guy under the guise of this movie. When Pete Davidson walks out, I was like, hey, and then gets his face shot off. That's supposed to be something that makes you laugh. What what that the intended response from the audience of this movie is like, oh, like it, that shocked and then immediate into laughter and the yeah. way everyone just gets completely mowed down. And so, yeah, it's uh, I'm not going to dare say that the Suicide Squad is uh, something that went over someone's head, but I think it's just <laughs> so it, it's just not not a movie for you, man. Oh, you were the guy. You were the guy that didn't get the Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> Branded forever. Um, finally, Whitney Siebold from critically acclaimed podcast says heads and shoulders above its predecessor, but like Guns Guardians of the Galaxy. Its quirkiness and shock elements all feel safe and corporate approved. Do you how do you compare this to Guardians of the Galaxy? I mean, obviously well, you can see it's the same filmmaker. Well, I know 
the corporation of world wrestling entertainment would not have approved john cena dying on screen so i don't know about that <laughs> uh i've only seen the first guardians and i saw it one time and it's when it came out which was 10 years ago or just about 10 years ago um mm. uh, i remember enjoying it i went to a midnight of that julio me too uh, yeah i liked it so smart me enjoy books so much I understand the point they're trying to make, but it's also like you don't go to one of these movies expecting it to be a Sam Peckinpah film or something. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, it's Guardians of the Galaxy. It's Marvel. It's Disney. And it's the Suicide Squad. It's DC. It's Warner Brothers. What exactly are they expecting? Yeah. Any of those reviews. You know, like those. It's not fucking killers on the flower moon. Like, what? What do you what do you want? <laughs> And even you, and you know, because Paul's the the reason for this. Like the y'all circle of superhero movie fans, <laughs> like you would all say the same thing of like, well, well, hold on, <laughs> like what what did you think you were going to see? Like, and that's those are so asinine, man. I guess the idea now is because they're so embedded in the the film scene and. You know, it's just become the norm that we're supposed to judge them as we would judge a more or um, <laughs> I don't fucking know. Uh, Parasite on the Western Front. <laughs> yeah, apparently, you know, it's the streetcar named Desire and Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy 2. We're going to judge these on the same merit. Joel Kinnaman. Stella. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that it, it's in a extremely rare situation where I'm defending these movies of like, all right, well, back the fuck up, man. Uh, well, those were the rotten quotes, Alex. Let's uh, let's get into it. I mean, you you seem positive about this movie, which I let's wasn't get sure. into it. Thirty five minutes into real talk. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it to a certain extent. It is inexcusably long. Uh, my letterbox review said Hollywood desperately needs back ruthless producers that aren't afraid to come in and just like, nope, 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 nope. And, you know, we don't need those a lot of the time now because things are going to go straight to streaming. And also the what you and I dealt with um not dealt with, I should say, but like observed in our time at the movie theater was the importance of the amount of show times you can get in a day. And that's why the lesser movies were always 90 minutes. And then like the Disney movies uh, typically would, if they're two hours, but they still got, you know, three or four theaters. But then you, you think of something like, I remember Wally had three theaters, but it was 90 minutes. So it got like fucking 15 showings in a day. Just mm -hmm. bank, bank, bank. But you don't have to worry about things like that anymore. And because of that, everyone gets lazy on their end. And, you know, uh, this may be a different example. Just listening to you explain the situation of they're afraid to tell James Gunn to do anything, but um, that that's, that's where it's at, man. These executive producers and these studios need to, if we're going to care about the overall quality of our movies, then you have to step in and say, cut this. And, I referenced that discussion we had in our Halloween episode where Rob Zombie talked about working with the producers on dimension of coming in and like 
uh, for the theatrical releases of his movies, of thinking, like being really attached to something, and then they just come in. Now this sucks. We're going to cut this. And like the the thought process of being like a, a filmmaker and going through that, and then kind of then realizing, well, no, they're in a position to say that, and then kind of realizing where they're understanding rather where they're coming from. And it's I understand that everyone has feelings, and filmmakers have feelings. But that's that's why this process has existed for as long as it has, because if we leave directors to their own devices, you end up with shit like fucking this is 40. And it's just. And that's my thing with this movie, dude, I, I, I'm trying I'm trying to rest- I was in full ready to go in rant mode, but I'm going to bring it back in. It's just too long. It's easily 40 minutes too long like man it, it keeps it from it's it keeps it at being a good movie when it could have been great if you kept it like a tight 140 maybe even 145 like thinking of how good this could have been and one of the movies that could have like i could have walked away from this thinking like you know these movies do have their place and maybe they're not all bad <laughs> But instead, I came away from it just thinking, like, there's no discipline. No, no like, filmmakers at the highest level now uh, in terms of what is going to get the the most exposure, what the most people are going to see, what the most people are going to talk about, what's going to get the most engagement online. These fuckers, the, the filmmakers, the studios, they just have no discipline. And so it normalizes just, yeah, fuck it keep it in let's let's make a two hour and 20 minute superhero movie that you know eh, there's these long meandering scenes that really don't go anywhere but you know we'll bring it in in the end and it's i i can't do it julio so what would you cut do you have like an idea because i do um all that character development bullshit is just kind of (laughs) like all right the heart of the movie fuck it no 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 no. there's ways to shorten it there's ways to cut it like reel it in to where it makes more sense the whole opening takes longer than necessary um dude the fucking exposition of like oh the u.s actually did it it's just like you can explain that in uh three sentences You'd be like, your government sent us here. And then, you know, he looks around and then realize, you know, there's a <laughs> one of the pieces of equipment says made in USA. And he's just like, no, you know, <laughs> I, now that I'm going back to it and thinking the shit I would cut, there's way too much time spent at the, when they get to the base. And, um, Honestly, one of the most visually impressive sequences in the whole movie is when the the floor is being flooded and, you know, Margot Robbie and Idris Elba and uh, creepy dude from Prisoners like that. That <laughs> looks great when they're all trying to, like, keep their head above water. But um, it just takes forever to get where they're going. Uh, what What would you cut? I was hoping not to give my hand away um, during a trans corner, but I couldn't help myself. And so I said it there and I meant it. The I think that Harley Quinn, while being one of the best things in the movie, is also the thing that makes this movie run longer than it should. And I really don't it, know. I had I, forgotten I, about that already, but you're exactly right. I, I don't know what, what is the reasoning behind having her have her own separate adventures. Uh, it's it's uh 
why you don't like X-Men 2. It becomes the Logan story. <laughs> right. I mean, I know I know the justification uh, in the sense that, well, she's a very popular character. She's a very popular actress. Uh, it's a good turn's corner, right? You can't make the movie if you can if you don't bring Harley Quinn back. And so it feels like, well, we're going to crowbar her into a bunch of scenes to justify her presence. But then the, the end result is that now the movie is really long. I do believe, like, if you take out all the Harley Quinn stuff and it's just about a group of, about the Suicide Squad coming in and just having their mission without having that side quest of Harley Quinn, then the movie doesn't change. You know, it just, it just becomes shorter. It loses a hell of a lot of star power, which is a problem, you know, but maybe then you can have Harley Quinn be in the team and, uh, you know, replace somebody else. She can replace Ratcatcher or, I don't know, whoever. And, you also uh, know that in today's, uh, the way things work now, the cycle with the internet and everything, she's not in it, but she shows up at the end for like the last 10 minutes. Imagine <laughs> how many more people would like, it would drive people to see, you know what I mean? The whole like threat of her being there is almost as powerful as her being on top. I know, I know it's not like to the mainstream, but. Well, but also I, I I like her. I like the character. I like her performance. So I want her. She's in the excellent. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want her in the movie. I just the way that they structure the story, then you you just made it unwieldy. I I agree with you. This movie shouldn't be two hours and twenty minutes. That's my main criticism of it. I overall I like it. I enjoy it. I, I think it's fun. But it's also for what it accomplishes as far as uh, you know saying anything. It, it doesn't need to be two hours and 20 minutes. You know, at two hours and 20 minutes, I expect it to leave me somehow shaken about the world or give me some sort of insight into anything. But this is nothing. I mean, it's just pretty, uh, you know, standard characterization. Oh, you know, she had daddy issues. He had daddy issues. They come together as a team. For comparison, Julio, Spider-Man 2, which is that is that your still is that your gold standard? Yes, that is the gold standard. It's 10 minutes shorter than Suicide Squad. Yes, but that movie, you know, leaves you also, <laughs> you know, it's shaking, sounds so dramatic, but that's that's how I feel when, when you get to the end, you're like, yes, we accomplished something. We took the time so that we could deliver these emotional punches. There's an emotional punch here. Like, I don't really, I laugh when uh, Polka Dot Man dies, you know. I'm a superhero! I'm a motherfucking superhero! Here's the other thing, Alex. It, it, that's my my real criticism. Maybe I wouldn't mind the runtime if it really if I had an emotional connection there. But the the thing that I was invested in it gets shortchanged, and so I get to the end, and I I feel like this should have been a story. The way everything turns out, I feel like this should have been a story about the Harley Quinn flag relationship, right? That it feels like there must have been a draft of the story that actually focused on that friendship or that relationship but it, it doesn't you know it's like they, they there's some like breadcrumbs that show that they have they're close right like these this this group of people that are villains and they they don't trust each other and all this stuff but these two somehow have a relationship it, it didn't make sense because they were in the previous movie you know and he goes to rescue her and she uh she seems really touched that somebody cared to go to rescue her and then they have that moment when they're doing this the the slow-mo walk towards the final action set piece of the movie where they, they share a look, like she's smiling and she looks at him and then he looks back at her and smiles and then they kill him off. And actually his death is one of the best scenes in the movie, I think. 
but there is no follow up. Like I, I want to see Harley Quinn have be affected by this in a way, right? And and then if so, if I get to the end of the movie and the death of somebody that he she had grown to care about makes her change somehow or, or gives her or us some insight into the way that her mind works or the world works or something, then I'll be like, all right, maybe maybe it was worth two hours and twenty minutes because it actually was about something else other than these cool characters go into a suicide mission and some of them make it out. You know, I'm okay with that movie, but it shouldn't be two hours and 20 minutes then. But yeah, they elongated a lot of stuff and I, I didn't feel like there was enough emotional punch at the end. It's also just the nerve of making a near two and a half hour long movie with characters that no one knows. And I love Idris Elba. I, I can't since the, the birth of this podcast, talk about how great Idris Elba is. And also, of course, John Cena. Great. I mean, people know who Harley Quinn is, but like by and large, it's not Batman. It's not Spider-Man. It's not Wolverine. <laughs> and, you know, the the one the one thing I was complimentary of about the new mutants was that movie was 90 minutes on the dollar. Like it was <laughs> it understood that no one knows who these fuckers are. So we, or someone did. I don't. I know that movie had production <laughs> hell or whatever, but someone eventually figured out no one's going to really care about these people. So we need to get in and get out as quick as we can. And that's by the end of this. It feels like it's force. And I'm this conversation's kind of gotten away from the point of I really did like this, but it does by the end feel like we're just trying to f- if we if we keep doing it, it's the Roman Reigns push from 2015 to 2019. If we just keep doing it over and over again, people will eventually care. And it's like, man, just get in and get out. Do it. Have him beat Brock at WrestleMania 31. Get in and get out. And then it's done. And then if let people make up their mind from that point, if they want to see it some more, or see it again or come back for it. And it's having not seen the Jared Leto 2016 one just going off of what I've heard people like you talk about and its general reputation. It seemed so obvious that this was immediately from the jump in this was something new. So what's the harm in keeping something tight and telling a quick, concise story and then leave people wanting more. So it it just comes back to like what you're wanting to present to your audience and it makes me happy that like uh, Iron Claw is coming out soon, and I assume that movie is probably going to be two or two and a half hours. And there may be people that watch it and are just like, "Please end." Whereas me, I'm going to be like a pig and shit. I'm going to be like Nelson watching uh, Andy Williams, just like with my hands by my face, like so excited. And so when I watch something like this and I'm like, Oh my God, I, I am, I'm enjoying this, but please just wrap it up. Like do something with this. But you know, someone like Paul is probably really enjoying it. And so that uh, obviously I, I'm not saying that, like, I don't know. I saw his review it was four and a half stars on letterbox. And so I know he, this obviously worked for him on a level that is just outside of my realm of grasp. And with you, it offers like an interesting middle ground because you do know some of these stories and you know, kind of what they're going for and whatnot, but you're still, it seems like we're in agreement about some of this. Um, so to go down quickly, like a list of bullet points that aren't in the process of filmmaking, uh, we're both very complimentary about um, Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie, fantastic. 
uh, Sly is hilarious. And I, again, I, I'm not convinced he, he left his couch to do this. <laughs> uh, I was obviously very praise heavy of John Cena in the first half because I always will be. I actually was kind of surprised at how good he was in this. Where, when you saw this, what were your thoughts on his performance? I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. But it was also kind of like what I expected as far as from everything I've seen. He he always seems, and I mentioned it, I think, during, I, I must have definitely mentioned it during our Roxena uh, project of Patreon, that I always had this idea that he was a pretty funny guy just from the things I'd seen him in. So when he shows up here as Peacemaker and he's really funny, that was not a surprise. I was like, that makes sense. And he's good at the action stuff. Also made sense. He gets that darkness about him towards the end. And uh, I was like, cool. Which, he pulled yeah. it off, you know? But I, I, I know based on everything you've said, and yeah, because you have that that persona, his his wrestling persona. For you, that was more of a shock, I guess, or more of a, uh, not a shock, but more of a pleasant experience to see him play that note. Definitely outside of uh, the realm of normalcy as far as it pertains to big match john i was just like oh god he's he's a bad guy (laughs) he's gonna kill this kid um and it's a limited part of the movie but just to see him in that and he's funny too just the big meathead the i you know what does he say he's like i love peace and i will kill any man woman or child that (laughs) stops me from getting it it is it, it was good. But his um, his for me the highlight of his performance is right after or as he kills uh Flag because his face, you know, he just stabbed him and Flag is dying and Flag has my favorite line in the movie where he was like Peacemaker. What a joke. And yeah. then you have the close up on Cena's face and he's so bloody, but he also he doesn't look proud of what he's done. He doesn't look triumphant. He looks a little scared of what he's done. And that to me made all the difference in, in how you read that character. And good call. I was not surprised because up till then, I wasn't sure. I was like, I mean, I can see how you can make a show about him, but I'm like, is it just going to be this really, this big doofus killing people? And maybe it is. I don't know. I haven't seen the show, but uh, when you add that layer of like, oh, this guy actually has something to him, you know, if he can feel uh, remorse or have second thoughts about his commitment, then you can write a story around that, you know, and give him a show. So I'm curious to see what happens with, with his character and how he plays him next. Uh, I'm sure it's mostly silly. I, I've i seen clips of the opening credits of the show and it's him dancing and it just looks ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I liked what he did with the character here. I was definitely, I, I'm not going to say put me on the on the Cena train because by then, I like I said, I, I liked him, but I was... I was glad, mostly. I was relieved that he didn't feel out of place, surrounded you know, by all these other actors that obviously are more experienced than him. Goes toe-to-toe against Idris Elba. He does, which admittedly Idris seems to be in a bit of autopilot, but, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> I thought he was funny, I, Idris Elba. He, he has a couple moments yeah, where yeah. they're very very low-key and very funny. Yeah, there's there's good comedy in this. I feel... I know we kind of harped on some of the negative aspects of like the presentation, but it, there, there's a lot of good to this as well. And you know me, I, I mean, I don't have a pet rat or anything, but I'm a sucker for the, the story with the, the animal that, you know, <laughs> just the way it like cuddles up on his thigh at the end and he starts petting it. I thought that was really good. And 
the like with Guardians of the Galaxy, the soundtrack can be a little too on the nose. We're like, oh, okay, but you know, this, there's bangers on this soundtrack that you know I was just moving in my chair listening to. So <laughs> that um, how do you feel about that opening credit song? The well, the opening titles, I guess, the song from the Basketball Diaries. Yes, that's uh, exactly what my sister referenced too. Uh, <laughs> Again, a bit on the nose, but presented well. And with James Gunn, and I made a joke about it leading into this portion. I am a big, big fan of Super. And that's a movie that is, again, a, a bit on the nose. But I think there's, you know, that was the second movie he directed. He, he was a writer long before uh director okay so the first movie he directed was slither which was also have you seen slither before oh yeah yeah yeah. nathan fillion michael rooker (laughs) yeah the usual suspects you know uh (laughs) pam's in that too jenna fisher and that's one that's similar to this in the the sense of like the the sense of humor and the -the over-the-top violence but then super was the one to me that kind of Everything he does from now until the end of time, you can circle back to that in terms of like the the violence, the um, really cynical style of storytelling and the even the soundtrack in that, you know, and the the way the cinematography of it's a bit on the nose, but it really works for what it's doing. That, of course, way, way darker than what we're discussing here today, but I think it's... um, it's definitely an interesting piece of his history that that was the the first movie he made that kind of garnered that underground reputation because Slither was a, a mainstream release and I can't remember if it did well. I, I think it might have made its budget back, but Super was made at a time where Dwight uh, Rain Wilson was mm-hmm. obviously big on The Office and that movie has Liv Tyler in it and Elliot Page is in it and... um Kevin Bacon? I, yeah, Kevin Bacon's the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it didn't do dick for business. And I, But I remember it was at South By and got a bunch of pub that way. And it's it's just one of those things of like, if you're a fan of Guardians or Suicide Squad or the, you know, some of the things he's done since, which actually looking at his filmography now, the only things he's directed since then have been Guardians and Suicide Squad. Anyway, he's a guy with a vision. And I think that's the biggest thing I can say, the most positive thing I can say about him. And the only reason you and I are being so analytical about, you know, some of the way this movie's made is because that's kind of what we do here. And also because there's such a gigantic sample pool to pull from of these superhero movies that are too long. But one of the things that we keep going back to is how unique this is. And that, was the biggest thing that the first guardians movie correct me if I'm wrong. Cause you're definitely the expert on this. The, the biggest thing about that was it felt like a breath of fresh air in the Marvel franchise of like, this is made differently than everything. The, the acting, the dialogue's different. The presentation's different. And I could see myself if I was in like a situation where I was a big DC fan and unsure of the direction it was taking, seeing this and feeling the same way. Me personally, I think it's too long and I've broken down my other critiques of it, but he clearly hasn't 
he follows through with what he wants to do and his as corny as it sounds his vision isn't compromised and i think that's something worth you know celebrating yeah definitely i i think that uh he delivered on what people wanted from a james gunn dc movie you know when people heard that he was coming that he was jumping ship over to dc to do a suicide squad movie i think that this is what they were hoping for and i think they got it so in that sense, it's a triumph. I mean, the, obviously, the box office doesn't reflect how it succeeded, I think, with its audience. But like we said, there's a lot of factors involved in that. Um, I like the movie, too. I I, I want to shout out Joel Kinnaman. I, I know I we made fun of him in the in Contreras Corner. I actually like his character a lot. As we've discussed previously, as a Cyclops fan, I do gravitate towards those like very serious leader characters that... May not have a whole lot going on, and, uh, but for some reason, I just like that archetype. And I think that uh, Flag is a lot more interesting in this movie, a lot more defined and a lot more compelling in what he's going through than he is in the previous movie. And uh, I welcome that. It was I was really bummed that they killed him off. I was hoping that he would somehow show up at the end, but uh, it's pretty definitive, that death. And uh, I mean, he goes out in, a, like I said, one of the best sequences in the movie. and. Uh, the Cena performance, the fight between the two of them and, and his final line. I mean, it's great. So um, pour one out for Colonel Flag, who will not be showing <laughs> up in the next Suicide Squad, sadly. Uh, I feel bad, like I said, for Joel Kinnaman. That they brought him back to kill him off, but at least they gave him you know more than he had in the previous movie. Um, but I do feel that the movie, just to reiterate, even more so than the runtime, I feel that the movie drops the ball when it comes to what could have been a pretty sweet payoff between uh, him, you know, with, with Harley Quinn and his character, if they could have just done more in the way that his death affects. I mean, I know that they kind of painted themselves into a corner. They had to have Idris Elba be the one that killed Peacemaker or killed in quotation marks. But from an emotional point of view, it would have made more sense for Harley to be the one that avenged uh, Flag, right? Like they're friends. Like Idris Elba does it just to save Ratcatcher, which is like, yeah, I know they have that whole subplot going too, but I, I just wish that they'd arrange things differently so that we would get, we would have gotten a better emotional payoff there. But yeah, overall, Alex, you, you you do not want to watch that first Suicide Squad. Yeah, I I recommend strongly against it. You might want to watch a couple of clips of uh, Jared Leto playing the Joker just so you can. Laugh I was just about to say it. that's it. Okay, so that I was going to propose a brief discussion because that's probably the only time it'll come up but you kind of beat me to it there he's not good as the joker recently i made a promise to myself that the next time i got a boyfriend i'd be on the lookout for red flags and if i saw any i would do the healthy thing he is playing such a different version of the joker that i feel like he was unfairly maligned because it's like well he wasn't going to be Heath ledger he wasn't going to be jack nicholson you know so he decided to go very serious he's very uh so he went he, full mark david chapman <laughs> yes i'm going to kill the batman <laughs> he uh he's more of a of, of a gangster in in that movie and there's no like i mean he, he's going for something for sure but it's not Compared to all the other takes we've had on the Joker, it just doesn't work. Uh, in the movie, he's kind of has the, the the Harley Quinn problem in that movie where he has his own separate subplot, right? Like Harley Quinn is with the Suicide Squad. They're going on this mission. And the Joker is like on the periphery uh, trying to rescue Harley from 
from being in this team. And so he's not even that involved in the movie. It, it's just, it's just weird. It doesn't work at all, but he's there. Uh, Will Smith, like I said, if they had gotten him to come back, I mean, I'm sure he would have been playing the Idris Elba character because it's the way that they set up that shot. It's very much the way that they set up, uh, Bloodsport here. You know, he's a marksman. He has a family. So he's the, the, the character that has something to lose. And then everybody else in that movie, I mean, they didn't come back either because they got killed or because they didn't make much of an impression. Like they had Killer Croc in that movie. And I couldn't tell you what the hell Killer happened. Killer Croc was in it? Yeah. He was a part of the first Suicide Squad. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. It was him, Enchantress, uh, some fire guy. Katana, maybe a couple other people. I hope you sleep well tonight, Julio, knowing that Jared Leto's Suicide Squad has more Academy Awards than the Master. Well, I mean, I've I've years to come to terms with that. <laughs> I I appreciate it as a punchline, no, that's a reflection of reality, even though I know it's both. <laughs> uh and then, of course, because we always have to bring it back to movie 43, you know, James Gunn has one of the, he wrote and directed one of the sequences in that movie. Which one? I knew that, but I don't remember which one. Beazel. It's, uh. Oh, with, the the cat, right? The With Elizabeth Banks and Josh Dumal. Yeah, that's not one of the, the great ones. <laughs> it's not one of the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Give me oh. Hugh Jackman with testicles on his chin. Now that's, then, that's cinema. Now we're talking, baby. Yeah. Um, well, all right. here's here's the thing, Alex. So the closing on the Suicide Squad, also as a as a concept, I like it because it's so malleable. You know, like there is no agreed. You don't need to explain really a whole lot of what happened. I mean, we just did, but a, a whole lot of what happened between the first movie and the second one because the concept is just like, oh, you just get a bunch of people out of prison, you install explosives in their heads and then you send them off on this suicide mission okay well you can do that with any number of characters you know as long as you have viola davis calling the shots from the office then just mix and match from your comic book lore and 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 you can cast people and they only have to commit to one movie so you can get big names and you're like oh you're just doing this one you either get killed at the end of the movie or or your pardon, and then you don't have to come back for the next one. So the concept is promising, and I think that it allows people to do a bunch of stuff that maybe uh, uh, you know a traditional superhero franchise wouldn't, because this is more of a you can have a rotating cast. So that's exciting, and I, I so I'm sure there's eventually going to be another one down the line, especially with James Gunn having done this one and James Gunn being in charge of uh, of the DC movies now. So. It'll be interesting to see what they do next, you know, especially since he's confirmed that Viola Davis and, and John Cena are going to keep playing those characters. It will be interesting. That's for sure. Uh, I feel I may have leaned too far into the negative in real talk here because I did like this movie. Uh, my letterbox review, I ended up giving it three and a half stars, which I'd probably go as far to give this a B minus. I think there's the good. There is negatives but the positives outweigh the negatives as far as like would i recommend someone watch this film would i watch this film again not ready to say i'm gonna own it but you know it definitely didn't feel like a a real struggle at any point as i've just kind of accepted what modern runtimes are (laughs) and uh i enjoyed a, a good deal of this what what about yourself julio I'm the same, three and a half. It was three and a half when I watched it the first time. It stays at three and a half. 
there's stuff that I really like, and there's stuff that I'm just like, uh, this this could be tighter. I think some of it is what you reference, right? Like, I am ultimately, I'm not as much of a DC person as I am a Marvel person. So I can see how Paul, who favors DC over Marvel, would be a lot more in his element here. And so he's like, sure, I'll take two hours and 20 minutes. Um, I, I don't care so much about the lag. But I do. I, I, I Even though it's one of the things where, like, you can almost have too much of a good thing. Because I couldn't tell you that any of the action scenes are necessarily, like, badly executed. But it was the same with me. Like, by the time that we got to the to the big fight against Starro, I was just ready for it to wrap up, you know? Yeah. And it's not that the, the fight against Starro is not inventive. I think that it's it's fun what they do with the rats and with the spear and, and with uh, Stallone, like, trying to eat the thing. It, it's, it's, <laughs> num num. Yeah. It, it's all fun, but I was just kind of worn out by then, you know? it's. I think it's a type of movie that... As we've been saying through the entire Real Talk segment, it would have benefited from being tighter and shorter. And then it just leaves you wanting more. But yeah, three and a half. Uh, my big question, Alex, to you is, is this something you're going to bring up whenever seen as acting chops are discussed? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I always knew John was, uh, like I know him, I, I knew <laughs> Cena was an incredible performer and... You know, the majority of people that watch this that have no prior knowledge of him, the the scenes of him becoming bad or, you know, demonstrating evil tendencies, that's not going to register with them at all. But after spending 15 years with him as being Superman, that was really powerful for me and not in a way of like, oh, God, scene is pretending to be like a bad guy now. It was just <laughs> like he was really good at it. So. You know, he he still hasn't made his Southland Tales. He still hasn't made his uh, pain and gain as far as, you know, if we're going to compare him directly to The Rock, uh, as we do. But um, I was very impressed with this. All right. Well, that is it. Paul, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. You enjoyed this discussion, even if we are not as crazy about this movie as you were. I think we went up on the positive anyway. So. Yeah. Both complimentary. Yeah. Look forward to the next Suicide Squad. And uh, I know at some point I'll have to watch Black Adam, uh, whether a patron requires it or just because I'll be just lying on the couch, unable to engage with anything. And I'll be like, sure, let's get it out of the way. I can have it playing in the background. And then I, I will be able to categorically say yes. In the battle between Black Adam and Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad wins for sure. But um, like you said, I get, I get the feeling that we we picked the right choice this time. We just saved the whole bloody scene. We can't have it all. Well, speaking of choices, what are we choosing to cover next, Julio? Uh, there's no choice, Alex. This is a different commitment. This is not to our patrons, but to uh, the live stream for The Cure audience. We do owe a debt. Yeah. Yes, we're halfway through paying that debt. And so the next installment, the next installment on the payment plan is the Flintstones, which we committed yes. to doing because we hit the Holly Berry tier on our donations. So never seen it. Alex speaks very highly of it. I went and saw it at a drive-in movie theater when I was a little kid. My parents took me and my sister I can't remember what car we had at the time, but I remember they opened the tailgate of it. And we just laid in the back and they had packed like sandwiches and whatnot. And <laughs> I don't even remember if my sister and I made it through the whole movie. I, we might have fallen asleep <laughs> by the end because, you know, it's got to be dark for that to work. And, you know, right. fucking little kid. But um, John Goodman, Rick Moranis, Elizabeth Perkins, Rosie O'Donnell, Kyle McLaughlin, Halle Berry, Elizabeth Taylor, 
Julio movie made nearly $350 million. <laughs> That's what happens when there's not a global pandemic, Alex. The B-52s are in it also. That's one of the biggest things I remember. The band? Does that- like the music band? Yeah. <laughs> that pregnant silence. I was like, wait, did they have the B-52s in Peru? <laughs> but yes, the Love Shack, Rome, uh-huh. Rock Lobster. Yeah, they're in it. Awesome. I'll, I'll mention uh, next episode. Stay tuned because I, I will talk about how I saw them live at ACL. Oh, fuck yeah. Well, that was the Suicide Squad. The Flintstones are on deck. Julio, do we have any business left to attend to? I would just say, if you haven't yet, check out the the two episodes of Binge Movies that I guested on. By now, by the time this episode drops, the vote to end their season has already come and gone. Um, as we record this, I am not doing very well, which I guess is to be expected, because my movie is an obscure Italian sci-fi <laughs> ripoff of Escape from New York. And uh, my competitor, uh, the great Pete from Middle Class Film Class, uh, he's defending Hellraiser 3, which has a little more uh, brand awareness, I think, <laughs> going for it. So uh, I'm getting my ass kicked at the poll, and that's fine. I, it was still uh, a fun conversation uh, with Jason and Pete on their uh, season finale, and also you know when we covered the box office hits from the year 2002, I think. Um, anyway, check out Binge Movies if you want to hear me talk about a bunch of movies for a long time with uh, Jason, who we're working on um, getting here for a guest spot. So stay tuned. Uh, but other than that, Alex, I think we're ready to get out of here. So let's do that. Welcome to our end credits. Or as we usually call them, our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand and take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothgeiser is the man behind our logo and all the art you see related to our show. Reach out to him and let him know how much you like that little tomato. His email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com and his website is mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also check out his podcast, Nación Combi, about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. For those interested in the regularly absurd world of professional wrestling, Joe and the boys over at LateNightGrin.com have you covered. Tell them the contrarians sent you. And we'd like to close with special thanks to our social media team of Zoe Perez and Coriari. Each of the social media accounts we mentioned in the introduction look as good as they do because of their work. So that'll do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Money. He makes a guarantee.